It's Football Friday, and you are tuned in to Across the Line. On this one, we review the recently concluded 2020 Philippines Football League brought to you by Qatar Airways. What a two weeks it's been, Chris. And uh, now we get an opportunity to really look back at everything and assess the impact of what has been an unprecedented time in Philippine football. It's been a credible two weeks, hasn't it? Um, those are different storylines and subplots that we can discuss and we talk about some of the success stories of some of the teams, some of the teams that have really underachieved, some of the, some of the clubs that, that we would expect to be you know, challenging for titles who did not, some of the teams that are languishing at the bottom of the table that are, are, are certainly ones that we weren't expecting when we initially um, did our, our season review. Um, we talk about some of the clubs that under the radar have sort of kept ticking over, kept ticking over and then subtly have worked their way towards you know, having incredible seasons even though it was just a the five game condensed uh, campaigns but overall I think what, what is the overarching theme of this is, is just how it's been amazing to see everyone club together to produce uh, a really wonderful festival of football for the last two weeks uh, when at so many points during the course of this year we didn't see it being feasible so um, yeah it's great for you and I to sit down to discuss and review uh, this this great wonderful two weeks of football that we've enjoyed. So many interesting stories and subplots and that's exactly what you want in a league and uh, all the implications and the things to look forward to. We talk about it all on this one and we hope you enjoyed. If you do, subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Look for us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. Without further ado, this is our review of PFL Season 2020 on this Football Friday. It's been an exciting two weeks for the world of Philippine football. The PFL 2020 season brought to you by Qatar Airways has just wrapped up and it's, it was a magnificent two weeks, Chris. Brilliant, brilliant two weeks of football. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, a whole myriad of uh, surprises, uh, the usual suspects uh, still turning up and ending up victorious, but loads of subplots, loads of uh, underlying stories that I think uh, have been a real uh, surprise package with this particular competition. I mean, there's, you know, we're used to seeing UCFC, obviously, in the new guys, formerly Ceres, uh, being atop of the podium and, and, and being the champion. But the fact that we saw new clubs come in, uh, do so well, uh, the fact that we saw some uh, teams who traditionally have been powerhouses struggle and stutter uh, as we, go, we went through this condensed season. Uh, loads of subplots, loads of little stories that, that we can kind of take away from this condensed season. But uh, I don't know about Eugene, but I, I really enjoyed watching that, the, the shorter season. And it was, uh, although it's a, a different version to what we're used to, uh, it was still really, really enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, there was a different kind of buzz for this season, you know, and uh, you, you could really feel it. And it was tangible with the fans, with everybody involved in the broadcast, with everybody all the, the, the players, you know, there was a added feeling of relief, but also of gratitude that this actually even transpired. But what I wanted to ask you before we, we got into things, right, we're going to review this entire season. And as you said, action-packed and so many subplots to speak about. But watching the games, Chris, from the outside looking in, did it, did it stir anything up in you? Did it, did it make you want to come back to, to club football and perhaps get involved again? You didn't mention this one off air. You didn't say you were going to bring this one up, did you? You sprung this one on me. Um, I suppose a little bit, you know, a little bit, if I'm being honest. You know, like I, I saw some people who I played alongside 
participating in the league. You know, their face a little bit rounder and, you know, their legs not moving as quickly as perhaps they once did, mentioning no names. But the fact that they were out there and engaged and playing, that, that for me was a victory in and of itself. Do you, do you know what I mean? It was, it was nice to see people just decide to, uh, you know, put the boots on, uh, get dressed and, and get out there and, and, and play and, and have another crack at it. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. And, and I'd be lying if I said a little bit of me would love to have participated in, in, in the event and maybe something down the road, um, you know, it, it might reignite in me and I might say, yeah, you know what, I, I wouldn't mind getting back involved. Um, you know, from the coaching side, you know, I, I enjoyed the, the tactical battles and that sort of thing. So I did miss that element of being on the sideline and, you know, obviously watching the games, you think of ways in which you would combat certain, you know, setups or makeups of opponents and stuff. So, um, I, I, I was watching it and I do miss that element of it, but I don't, I wouldn't fancy being in a bubble. You know, I've done my international stints and that being in the hotel for, you know, two, three weeks at a time, you know, that could be quite difficult. Uh, and obviously the uncertainty of everything, you know, the, the, the virus, you know, whether it was going to kick off or not, having it amidst, you know, typhoons and storms and whatnot, you know, those sorts of things. I, when I took a step back, I was like, wow, thankfully I'm not in that, in that type of environment. So, no, don't get me wrong. There was, there's, there's always going to be that element. And I think there's always going to be that aspect of it when I'm you know, 50, 60 years old, the competitive side of me saying, you know, what, I, I probably could still play one more season or, uh, you know, I'd love to be involved just one more time. But I've just enjoyed it, if I'm being honest with you, Jane. For, for the, the majority of me has just sat back and enjoyed and um, relished in the fact that we had another season. Uh, of Philippine domestic football because for for a long time, Jing, we, we have to acknowledge the fact that we didn't think this was ever going to happen. So uh, the fact that it went ahead, uh, the fact we were able to proceed with the competition, that for me was was the thing that gave me the most, uh, the, the, the biggest sense of fulfillment watching those games. It was more of a, a spontaneous question, you know? Like it, it needed a, a real-time response, that one. Not like okay. something that you could can, you know what I mean? Sure, I'll try and put you on the spot as we go through this as well. I'll see, see if we can elicit some uh, emotional responses from you. No, I agree with you, you know, and uh, it, it has been um, really, how should you say, profound, the impact that it's had on, uh, on the Philippine football community. And it's, it's really drummed up a little bit of excitement. And I think what it really captured was something that we've spoken about, about the previous seasons, about, uh, about the games being good but nobody could really appreciate them because they weren't packaged correctly. And now we're getting a chance to uh, watch it in an easily accessible place, YouTube, your Facebook, you can cast it on your TV, you can watch it on the big screen and there's replays, it's, it's palatable, you know, and you get an opportunity to see what the quality is really like. And it's clear now to everybody that the, the spectrum of quality in the Philippine game is tremendous, right? You have 46 pass, goal for UCFC, that kind of quality where they can ping the ball uh, four, diff four or five different times in that sequence from 40 yards left to right, no problem. That kind of football. And you can also see the heart and grit of a Maharlika side that is new and fresh and, um, uh, like I said, very raw in this top tier. So it's pretty exciting to see uh, those types of dynamics and to see how they interact with one another, right? Maharlika beating Salian like a, an established club for a long time. That story, regardless of what other results transpired from Maharlika in his competition, will live on for a long time and will inspire lots of um, young kids to, to maybe participate in the game, right? So I don't want to get too in the nitty-gritty in, in that um, tunnel right now, but let's give a, a little bit of a, 
how should you say, uh, let's just lay out the landscape of what transpired over the five weeks. And then, as you mentioned, um, all fair, you want to speak about top performers, um, perhaps the underachievers of this competition, um, some of the uh, um, surprise packages that we've had, and, and just an opportunity to, uh, to get around the entire competition. So before we do that, uh, let's, let's give them the, the layout of the land, so to speak, all right? After everything, you were right, Chris. The champions have been crowned, and they were exactly who you expected them to be. Um, they, they were untouchable. Unbelievable record. To clinch the title, it was 24 goals scored in four matches, um, four straight wins to clinch the crown. Um, spectacular. You just have to look at the numbers. I said in the, in the previous uh, preview episode that we had, which would have been uh, back in, I think it was February or so, um, that I just felt that too much firepower. And that, that was again reviewed right before the start of the competition. We even had Bienviet Marignon and we, 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 we touched upon this subject again. Um, and I felt that they would go into this competition the most prepared mm-hmm. when there was no pre- preparation possible. And that might sound ridiculous, but I just felt that they were the most professional of all of the clubs with the most professional individuals who don't need to be under the guidance of a coach or be under the guidance of a club overseeing their, you know, what's the diet, what's the nutrition, what's the, what's the weight program, what's, are they doing stuff? You know, these individuals, you don't need to tell them to keep fit. You know, you only have to listen to the podcast that we did with Bienve. He's going on holiday just to recharge the battery so he comes back fitter. You know, not to go on vacation, to get blasted and, you know, eat what he wants and, you know, get up to silly antics. It's all about the football. Everything's about the football. And, you know, you talked a little bit there about the spectrum. And that was actually one of the things I was a little bit disappointed with was the fact that some of the teams who, you know, I would expect them to have performed better given their status, given their more professional uh, experience, but it took them too long to get going. And in a five-game season, at the end of the day, the, the professionalism was what was found wanting from some of those clubs. And it was the continued heightened level of professionalism of, of UCFC that, that shone through. And, you know, we, again, the other thing that we talked about with their firepower, you know, we, we touched upon their defensive frailties, but other than the final game against Kaya with a with a relatively depleted squad that they put out, um, no one was really able to lay a glove on them. They just had too much firepower. Uh, teams were reluctant to go out and press them, which meant that the players with guile, with creativity in that final third, were able to expose people. Some great shots from distance. You know, we saw some great goals from from outside the 18-yard box because they've got that quality. Then teams that that invariably try to press them, they got picked off. You know, in those rare moments where teams try to get after them, it was one, two, two pass combinations, getting behind it. And once you give space to, to players like Robert Lopez Mendy, to OJ Porteria, to, you know, players who've got great movement like Bienvenue Merignon, it's game over. It's game over. So uh, you have to take your hat off to them because, you know, it was an easy prediction when you look at it on paper. But at the end of the day, they said that to go out there and deliver. And, and my gosh, did they. Yeah, I think the biggest shame is the fact that it didn't get stretched to the last day, the title race. I mean, um, that was w- one of the bigger disappointments in that um, there was nothing really on the line 
when Kaya and United City faced off on that final day. Um, the, the trophy had already been secured in the previous match day when Kaya failed to beat Mendiola. Um, that was a scoreless draw and, and probably the biggest disappointment in the campaign of Kaya. Um, just really no excuse for not being able to beat Mendiola, who, who leaked a lot of goals with previous uh, opponents. But uh, just focusing in on, on United City, tremendous performance. And as you said, um, they didn't need any extra motivation. There were so many rumblings prior to the start of the competition about, oh, they're not training hard. Their, their coach is not here. There's no direction. And then they step out on the pitch and you guys are just on the back foot the entire time. And they're making adjustments as to how they're going to penetrate your deep block. And it's just a matter, it's just clockwork. You know, it's like, essentially, if you, if you associate it into a, a boxing match, it's like you're on the ropes and you're on the defensive for however long they want you to be. Eventually, it's going to get tiresome, right? You're just out there um, worried about what you're going to get hit with. Uh, you're tense the entire time. And eventually, you start showing spaces in your defense and they pick it off so quickly. And, um, yeah, I think what's interesting, what you said about their, their Jing is, it's going to sound a bit strange, but I think you have to give a lot of props to Coach Risto on this one. Because although he wasn't there, a lot of what you said is, I think because they were so well drilled in the previous years under Coach Risto, a lot of it was just automatic, right? So a lot of their movements, the ball rotations, the you know, movement from side to side was automatic. And that's, that's not to give Coach Frank uh, to, to do him a disservice because he stepped into the breach. And he easily could have gone in there and said, right, I want to impose myself, I want to impose my style, my way of thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for the most part, he just took a backward step and said, look, you know, let's just continue in the manner in which we're going. And, you know, we'll try to adjust on the fly and, and give the players the responsibility to do that when they're on the pitch, if they have to. Mm. And, you know, I think that, that shows, especially with Coach Risto, like almost the role of the coach is to make yourself obsolete. Do you know what I mean? To have them so well drilled that they can function without you being there. And I think that's, that's something that, that really resonated with me when you watched them play, was just how seamless that transition was, <coughs> excuse me, from, from having that team as Ceres under. Coach Risto to the UCFC team he had under Coach Frank, and yet they still managed to to replicate the type of performance that you've seen for the past two or three seasons under the old series banner. Yeah, hundred percent. And now the challenge for them is to keep the squad together because I think as a Filipino football fan, you are extremely excited to see these guys perform on the Champions League level. You want to see that dominant, dominant football. Can they implement it on the bigger stage, right? Uh, or how do they match up against uh, teams from Japan, Korea, uh, and, the, and, and the like, right? So um, that's definitely an exciting prospect for everyone, um, not just UCFC fans or Ceres fans previously. I think for everyone, you got to keep a close eye on that because everybody's measuring themselves to UCFC here domestically. You, you, you want to know uh, if what you're aiming for is actually effective at a higher level, right? Well, what's your take on it, Gene? Like, if you were to give your perspective on them obviously progressing through now to the Champions League mm -hmm. group stage, whereas before they were getting to that final hurdle, the third qualifying round, and unfortunately came a cropper in the last two years, how do you think they'll stack up based on what you've seen in the last, uh, last few weeks in, in the current uh, PFL League? Uh, I think they're going to be a very exciting package to look at, right? I don't think... I think maybe progressing through to the knockout rounds... Um, you wouldn't bet on it 
but I don't think it's impossible, right? Because they played against these sides uh, on the final rung prior to getting into the group stage and they pushed those teams to the limit. Um, and that was with a crazy schedule and a lot of uncertainty about, you know, arranging your visas and late night flights and not <laughs> being able to train when you get there, right? It's like, that is about as home field advantage as you can get uh, those Champions League qualifiers. So um, they were definitely put at a, a disadvantage in those spots. But in a proper group stage setting, they might, it might be difficult for those guys to travel to the Philippines, right? And to play on our pitches in our stadium. So um, they might have a huge advantage in, in that regard. So um, it's going to be very interesting. And I think that's something that we definitely want to keep our eye on. Like this beautiful, attractive football do we want to aspire to that? Because if we, um, is it worth spending all our time trying to be like them? Because a lot of teams will be trying to copycat the winners, the best of this region, right? Which is Ceres or United City. Um, if you pattern your approach, will it be effective at the Champions League level? That's, that's something that I think is very intriguing to footballing minds here in the country. Very excited to see the prospect of having, you know, like you said, these big, yeah, uh, Chinese Super League teams coming to, to the Philippines, you know, getting at these big Japanese powerhouses. Um, it, it's going to be amazing. Like, I'm really excited to see. I'll be interested to see where they play their games. Obviously, that's something that's still a little yeah. bit up in the air. Uh, you know, would John Buck Motors fancy going to Carmona to play some games? You know, with the, uh, you know, the stench of horses and, you know, whatnot up there. I'm not too sure if they'd fancy it. So, I agree. I think that could be a, a really interesting sort of side note to that competition and, and them qualifying for it. Um, and, and I agree. I mean, you've obviously seen some of the teams that they've had battles with over recent years. You know, some of the, uh, the likes of JDT um, going into that competition. I think you'll see, obviously, some of the other teams from Southeast Asia now be able to make that jump into the group stages of uh, of the uh, Asian Champions League as they make the competition um, broader at its at its base. So it'd be quite interesting to see how some of those teams fare because I think the likes of JDT, you know, Series, maybe some of the top Indonesian clubs, some of the other teams, uh, the upper end of that Southeast Asian bracket, they're probably too good for the AFC Cup. Certainly in this region, I'm not saying necessarily for me, from the other zone. I would like to see them try to make that step up now and see if they can continue to push their development because the ascension of Ceres under, under its previous guise was really rapid. You know, they went from, you know, not qualifying, getting into the group stage, qualifying at the group stage. The following year, they were Asian, Asian champions. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that ascension was really quick. So if they can continue on that tra trajectory who's to say that they couldn't establish, establish themselves on that stage quite quickly? And what would that mean for me would probably be them obviously qualifying for knockout rounds. Yeah. You know, and again, that, that, that for me would sound quite ludicrous. But if you'd have asked me seven, eight years ago, is it ludicrous that an age, a Philippine team from the UFL could potentially compete at the ASEAN stage? I'd be like, they, never, no team's going to beat JDT. The amount of money they've got and the, 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 the funds at their disposal, the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And lo and behold, they did it within two, three years. So um, I'm excited to see what, what would happen. But I think one of the keys that you mentioned that's really, really important is obviously keeping that squad together um, and, and figuring out how they can move with that level up, you yeah. know, because obviously there's a lot of players in that squad that are great on a domestic level, but they're going to need to freshen up that squad if they intend to compete on the, uh, on the Asian stage. So. Yeah, interesting to see how that will develop. But I, I know a lot of the Philippine football public are going to be really keen to see them pit their wits against the best in Asia. Manny Ott versus Andres Iniesta. Rosal Memorial Stadium. Come on. 
Come on, I'll come to watch that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, United City, that's what they're looking ahead to. And congratulations to them on a fantastic performance. Um, second place, right below them, finishing just a point behind because they won the last game, are Kaya FC Iloilo. Now, you have them under your underachievers for this season, right, Chris? Yeah, I think Kaya's always got to look at themselves as, as, as title contenders, right? Every year they've got to set up the same target, which is it's just they've got to win, win the title. And obviously in recent years, you've, you've come up against a very dominant series, now UCFC side. So that, that's been very difficult. And obviously this is the third year in a row finish, finishing runner-up. So it always kind of been there or thereabouts. So, you know, the silver medal on, on the face of it probably isn't that, that bad of a result. But, I mean, you've got to take the results some, somewhat in isolation, you know. So, like the series, uh, so the UCFC win in the final game of the season was, you know, UCFC put out a, a, a weakened team. Uh, didn't put out their, their, their full selection of players at their disposal, rotated the squad, gave some other guys an opportunity and obviously ran out 2-1 uh, victors in, in that particular game. But there was nothing riding on the game. Um, so that's, that's not to take anything away from them because they have to beat the opponent that's put in front of them. But obviously what we were hoping for, and I say we, probably the league as a whole, to take my Kai hat off as a, you know, as a, as a fan, we wanted to see that to be the showpiece event of the competition. We wanted to see a game where it was Kaya against UCFC, fighting it out for the title with a you know, battle royale. That's what we all wanted, right? That, that's, that's why the fixtures were made how, how it was made. And, and we, we anticipated that that being the case. So the draws against Stallion on a late goal uh, and, and obviously the Mendiola one was the big, big uh, surprise result really of, of the competition after UCFC had handily beaten them. Uh, in, 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 in the early round. I guess it just left, uh, you know, Kaya fans, uh, fans of the league as well, just a little bit disappointed with the campaign, not having it all go down to that final game and have it go to the wire. Because I think had it been that way, I think you've seen in previous years, and obviously historically, Kaya have been great in those one-off games. You know, historically have been able to rise to the occasion. And even if you look at the cup final last year, it was really unfortunate. Um, it was a really unfortunate defeat. You know, they, they easily could have taken that game into, into extra time, maybe penalties. Because um, I thought the second half, they were the better team. And that was a missed opportunity then. And I think this was a missed opportunity here in this campaign. You know, a shortened season, um, limited time for all teams to prepare. Uh, I just felt that, yeah, I mean, they fell, fell foul to, to opponents who... A, they should be beating regularly. Um, I put Mendiola in that bracket, no disrespect. And against a difficult opponent in Stallion, they they were there for the taking. You know, they were there last ten minutes, one nil up. You know, you you've got to go for the jugular in, in that instance and, and see the game out. So, yeah, I, I, I put them in in the underachievers as bracket, and it's it's not nice to see my former club um, be be placed in that situation, but. Um, Ultimately, obviously, every, every year you, you want to be gunning for the title. And, and this was an opportunity missed, unfortunately, for the club. It's incredible. Um, 2020, they didn't lose a single game. Kaya didn't lose, not once, not in the AFC Cup, not in the PFL, but ultimately one or two draws. That was what it cost um, to, to not get your goal, uh, unfortunately. Um, 
yeah, the Mendiola and the Stallion one in particular, though those were very, very painful. And then, of course, you, you touched upon one thing that perhaps everybody wanted to see was that big match, right? Um, good viewership still. I, I was watching some of the Singaporean League games, and you get maybe some games 30 people, some games maybe 200, 300. This was 1,000 over YouTube alone. Um, people were watching and a couple thousand over on, on, on Facebook. So it was still well watched. However, um, as you said, uh, it wasn't the juggernaut that it could have been, but Kaya still beat the team that was in front of them, which they failed to do in the Copa Paulino Alcantara the year prior, which was a weekend Sarah side. So there was mm. still a job to be done, but, um, in the end, it's just a consolation one point away you- from. From something yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Jane. Can you put your finger on what you think it is or what you think it was that sort of caused that, that sort of stutter, that, um, that, that sort of, I don't want to say misfiring, because I think that, that, that sort of that becomes a loaded question, excuse the pun. Um, you know, what, what can you put any finger like, is this something, was it something in the preparation? Was it something behind the scenes? I don't know. Like, what, what, what's your sort of take on? On, on why, for, for whatever reason, Kai weren't able to, to put up a, a stronger fight. You know, I think it's an interesting... When I look at it, it's more of a, a strategic gamble that played into the favor of United City, right? They were, I'm going to play my strongest 11 and I'm going to kill everybody with my strongest 11 and I'm not going to take any chances. Um, what they managed to do with that approach was kill off matches so early that they didn't have to get tired legs at the end of 90 minutes. That was their goal. And I think it it worked out well for them. Where that might fall short is on final day when you're getting pressed a little bit harder by Kaya or pushed a little bit harder and some of the legs fail and you're forced to throw in two or three substitutes who are untested over the course of the tournament and thrown into the fire against a Kaya side that is a little bit deeper than you, you might go on and lose the final game, that mammoth match which is played at a high intensity. Kaya, I think, were saving some legs for that potential matchup. Thinking, and perhaps rightly so, in my mind as the coaching staff, that some of your options on the bench could provide you the necessary firepower to get over the likes of Mendiola and Maharlika uh, and to shuffle your lineup a little bit to ensure that for the final game, you are the freshest you could possibly be. Um, there are some more seasoned individuals like Simone Rota, for example, that you have to worry about uh, his legs, right? Masanari wasn't um, fit for that game. So you're also thinking about how do you give Maru rest in, in midfield? There are things like that that they, they were considering. But I think ultimately, because there was some misfiring in front of goal, there were a lot of opportunities that were missed uh, that, that didn't play out. I mean, if you score the goals against Mendiola or a referee doesn't call or calls the penalty rather than not calls the penalty or does not disallow a goal, Kaya could be fresher going into a, a, a massive game and we wouldn't be having this discussion. In fact, we would be talking about, oh man, what trust he showed in his squad that he could rotate them even in big matches like Stallion. He left the big defender off. Um, but no, not all. Ri- there are, there are, there's a price to risk. And unfortunately, we saw the price. Um, 
it could have very easily been, how could you just trust all your 11 to United City and not give your younger guys a chance? Now this guy is injured or that guy is injured or he pulled up with cramps 25 minutes into the, into the game. So it could have very easily been that way and it's useless to think of what ifs, but that's how it transpired. And I think that, that played into it for sure. The rotation played into your capability to be more fluid in your attack. Uh, there's no getting around that. Do I think the players on the pitch should have gotten the job done? I think so. And I think they will look at themselves and, and feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, I really, really like Coach, uh, Coach Yu uh, as a player. He was a great player to play against. His teams have always played great football as well as a coach. So, you know, uh, hindsight is, is always twenty twenty, isn't it? You know, right. you've always got... Uh, uh, your critics um, who are going to jump on it as soon as they see the result, they're going to point to whatever methodology that you used. If you if you don't come up victorious, it was because of that. If you and if you won, then you get to take the plaudits. I mean, that's just the nature of being being the coach. So you know, I've I, I, there are many a game where I'd get uh, oh, you know, why did you leave this guy on? Why did you not sub this guy in? You know, I think this guy could have made a, an impact. And listen, this is. That's the nature of the job that you're in as a coach. You know, you, you, you live and die by the decisions that you make. So, so ultimately, if, it, if, if you do pull it off, you are the genius. You're the hero. If you don't, then, you, then you're going to be made a scapegoat for, for the decisions that, that you took. And, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily I, – I don't mind the rotation. It wouldn't be my approach. It's not how I did it. I was often criticised for, for my, my best team every week and not – not creating an environment where some of the guys on the bench weren't, you know, always fully trusted. And I guess the flip side to that is if you were in my starting 11, you knew that 100% I was behind you and I had total belief in you. So that's, that's the sort of, that's the flip side to that, right? And there's always, there's always the other side of the coin. So um, I'm sure that, that as, a, as a squad player, I'd be much happier to be playing an environment under coach Hugh where, you know you're going to get an opportunity. You know you're going to get a chance. So every approach is different. And, and, and that's, that, for me, wasn't actually too much of an issue. But I think with Kyrie's, when I first came, uh, we lacked a striker. We lacked that out-and-out out number nine. Uh, Nate Berkey was trying to lead the line. But he, for me, was more of a, uh, a leap man, target player. He needed someone to play off of him. He wasn't necessarily a natural finisher, but he was more of a hold-up man. He could set things off be a focal point for attack. More like an Olivier Giroud type. Do you know what I mean? I was going to say um, Emil Heskey, but... Emil Heskey, yeah, okay, fine. Slightly, slightly different, but... I'll, I don't know, I don't know I'll, why that came to my head. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell Nate next time you called him Emil Heskey. Hey, um, I love watching that guy. So, I remember, like, conversations that I had with subsequent coaches, and then obviously when I came in to be head coach, you know, I was like, look, we need a number nine. We need someone who is not in the game. He doesn't touch the ball. And before you know it, bang, bang, we, we win the game 2-0 out of nothing. You know, someone just clinical, ruthless, uh, doesn't need five, six chances to put the ball away. Um, and I don't think they had it this season. I don't think they had that guy. Kinshiro Dennis had a great season. Do you know what I mean? I think, I, I think, he, had a, I think he had a really, really, really good campaign. Um, but... He does other things for the team. You know, he's not somebody who operates within the confines of an 18-yard box. He's got different attributes, which means he's coming short for the ball, he's making runs in behind, he's hugging the touchline, he's working in off the line. And that's a lot to expect from someone who you're then going to move into a central position and then say, right, I, I want you to try and grab all the goals. You know, I looking back to, you know, Pablo Arasil, uh, Tishan Hanley, Louis Clark, um, 
Robert Lopez Mendy, Jordan Minter last year. I mean, these guys are guaranteed goals. You know, guaranteed goals. Um, every season, in and around the top scorer charts, and just need one chance, and it's a goal. Obviously, you had Yusato was was your was your um, your go-to guy for that particular role, but it was when he left um, in the, in that off period, um, that meant that there was a, a void in, in that striker position. So obviously, um, Ose came in in that um, in the fourth game, which was the Mendiola game, right? The game that he made his made his debut, who I guess was brought in to, to perform that function. But unfortunately, he. he we didn't have that that opportunity. I know we had injuries in, in early on in the campaign, so I'm not sure if there was a fitness issue there, Jing. Perhaps you could shed some light on that. Um, but yeah, that for me was was the biggest one. It's just they didn't have that killer instinct versus what which Kaya has has been traditionally been able to find. Certainly over the last four or five seasons, is having that number nine with that killer instinct, who's been able to to provide goals that you know with half a chance, bang, it's in the back of the net. Yeah. I think what was visibly different perhaps was, were the quicker exchanges in the final third, uh, maybe a, a, more of a willingness to, to pass the ball um, in tight spaces. But a focal point at the top, as you mentioned, was definitely something that was um, not as visible. Um, and that clinical nature in front of goal was definitely, um, you can tell from the statistics alone, just solitary goals in all of the games if there were goals and the only time they scored two was against uh Ceres. oh sorry united city uh, uh in that final match so um goals goals um definitely something to 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 add to the repertoire of kaya if they are to improve next season but as i mentioned undefeated afc cup undefeated in the pfl fell short of the goal how what, what's your verdict let's say first year of coach yu hoshide at the uh, at the helm for them and as you can see there's been a little bit of there's been some changes with the way the team is played and maybe the culture of the squad so how do you see it from the outside looking in see it's, it's, it's very hard to tell because on the surface he's had a full year but in reality he's had a very short period of time to to stamp his authority on the team even if you look at the um AFC Cup games he had at the start of the year he had very little preparation time with that yeah. So I think it's going to take time for him to get you know, the type of players that he wants. Obviously, he, he had his striker and then that, that whole uh, dynamic was shifted. So you know, I, I'm not too judgmental on him. I think the key is obviously having a full campaign where yeah. he can really implement his philosophies and ideas. Because like I said, I look at his JPV team that he had before, you know, and they played incredible football, uh, you know, was, was brilliant in that transfer market as well in terms of attracting players of a, a higher level, a higher standard uh, of, of, of foreign player to, to what we were used to here in the, in the Philippines. You know, I look at guys like Yusato at the time was, you know, arguably the best striker in the league uh, his, his, his first season. He was, he was an absolute revelation. Takashi Odawara, um, yeah. he was, you know, he was, he was brought in, I think, even around the same time that he came in. But I mean, he turned him from a, you know, a, a decent Division Two player to be an absolute Division One standout performer, uh, and then brought in Yanagawa, who was you know absolutely absolutely phenomenal in this in this competition. So, um, you know, perhaps with a with a transfer window and the opportunity to bring some more of his own guys in, um, additional time to actually work uh, functionally with the group, 
Um, I think I think that's really when we'll be able to judge what what uh, what he brings to the table. But you know, we'll have a great opportunity to start next year with with some Champions League qualifiers. So yeah. uh, if that doesn't work out, then obviously we'll go back into the AFC uh, Cup competition and maybe he get a full campaign there because I'm sure he was disappointed not to get a full campaign this season but um, it's, it's, it's definitely a case of just hoping that he can get the opportunity and, and, and have the tools at his disposal to, to fully implement his styles and his ideas because I think if he can do that then uh, I'm excited to see the, the, the brand of football that the, that the side uh, can produce providing that he gets those right pieces of his jigsaw in place. Yeah you mentioned JPV I think that's a very interesting um thing to think about for a lot of people because JPV was a team that was punching above its weight, right? And I think in this competition, we saw a team that was really uh, capable of doing that or really surprised a lot of people, raised a lot of eyebrows because they were punching above their weight, right? Um, and that team is the ASCO's development team in this uh, 2020 season. Now, Coach Yu Hoshide, let's push him aside for a little while. Eight games only this season, so hopefully he gets more in the next campaign. But speaking of ADT, um, I think what we saw, or at least um, I'd be interested to hear what you think, actually, um, Chris. From what I saw, it was a team that was very, very well organized. I think they were a supremely superb, uh, they were superbly coached in how they were going to approach the game. So there wasn't much thinking going on on the pitch. Uh, the, the players knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And if you didn't perform your function, you were going to get replaced. You were going to get yanked off very quickly and there was somebody else who was going to get put in your spot. On paper, the, the names are not that impressive, right? They're okay. They're, they're untested. But what they showed on the pitch was that they only got narrowly defeated by UCFC and Kaya. And then they went on and started beating uh, some, some, some sides that were established, well-established, right? Um, who did they beat first? Was it uh, uh, Mendiola? Um, yeah. Yeah. They defeated, and then that was 2-0. Harvey Goyoso scoring one and assisting one. And then they went on to beat Maharlika uh, pretty handedly. I think that was 5-0 in the end that they, mm -hmm. they, they mm -hmm. beat Maharlika. And then they had to play Stallions. Stallions, yeah. yeah. And that game you'd expect, all right, this is the time for the big boys to stamp their authority. And then, no. ADT, again, getting a victory and... Three wins in this competition, was nobody was predicting that. And I think that's the reason why, perhaps, of all the teams that were upset that United City, outside of Kaya, um, that were upset that United City didn't put out a strong team in that final game, it would be ADT uh, and Kaya who would be upset because Kaya wanted to play a strong side. Um, every, perhaps neutrals also wanted to see a strong side. But ADT wanted to finish second in this campaign. And they would have wanted United City to play a strong squad. But that aside... Very impressed with how they were able to utilize their tools, right? A lot of homegrown players in this and a lot of very young guys, but they stepped up to the plate and really delivered, I thought, in this competition, which links to JPV and Coach Yu Hoshide because well-coached sides with okay pieces or not necessarily world-class pieces still trump world-class pieces who are badly coached. I think... That's what we're seeing with ADT. So it's important to get the coaching correct, to get your approach correct, and then try to improve the pieces at your disposal, not so much hunt for pieces that are really, really good and hope for the best. Uh, does that make sense, Chris? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree to that to some extent. I think um, I think what, what's really interesting about this team is the fact that if you look at the majority of, of the sides, you know, they've got key foreign players that make the difference for that, for that club. You know, like uh, Bienvenue Marignon, for example. You know, no one can deny his, his influence on that UCFC and previously Serie's team. Um, you know, you only have to look back to, to Kyra in previous years, Jordan Minter, Robert Lopez, Mendy. You know, these guys are coming in and, and completely changing the dynamic of, of the organisation. ADC don't have that luxury. They don't have that luxury. So they have to make do with the parts that they've got. Now, who's to say if you want to get two or three foreign players and add them into the mix for that particular opponent? I think they would be bona fide title contenders. I really do. Not that they could win it and not that they, it would mean that they would go on to qualify for the Champions League or anything like that. And, and not that they would do it because it would defeat the purpose. But I think that's just to show and to illustrate just how close they are to... Uh, potentially being a really, really top side. And that's not to say that they're not. I, I, would, I would argue that if there was like a power rankings, I would probably have them at number two. You know, I'd probably have them at number two because, for, you know, one might argue that had Serres, had UCFC put out their strongest lineup with the mood that they were in, maybe they'd blow out Kaya. You know, it wasn't like Kaya was pulling up any trees. You know, they, they'd drawn the previous two games, you know, if I want to play devil's advocate and say, like, let's say Serres go five for five, they win the entire competition, then we would be having a different conversation. We'd be talking here with ADT sitting in the runners-up spot. So uh, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Like, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the fans and, uh, and me from a, as a spectator would love to have seen um, that uh, UCFC and, and Kaya game being against two fully formed squads because as a spectacle it makes more sense but also as a, as a byproduct of that your ADC would have had a better chance of obviously qualifying and uh, finishing in that second position um, going back to your organisational um, perspective you know, what I noticed about Scott having worked with it is he's very good at, at sort of layering things one on top of the other so he, he, you might have like a base concept that you're working on so it might be how you want to play. And he was very good at saying, right, this is how I want you to play. And just giving it to you as a blanket. These are the, these are the things that I'm looking for. And then within the next session or within a meeting, it'd be right, now add this onto it. Now add this onto it. And they're all very simple ideologies. They're not anything too crazy or far-fetched you know very easy to, to understand very digestible the way in which he does it is very clever and I think once you start to add these layers on that's when you start to construct this very formidable uh, organization that's very cohesive and if you look at it from a defensive standpoint it makes it very very difficult to break down even in a short period of time you only have to look back to some of the first games that you had with the national team you look at how difficult that team was to, was to break down, even in the first two, three games that he had. And then on the flip side of that, I was quite impressed with um, how well he was able to implement his in-possession style of football, because I think that's harder to implement, especially with the, uh, the quality of player at his disposal, because it wasn't like he had full international players. You know, he had a lot of college players or guys just out of the college ranks some sort of up-and-coming guys who, who want to try to forge their way within the game. And again, was able to get them on the same page, playing uh, a system that they all understood and 
man, they were, for me, the biggest surprise of the competition in terms of the results that they got. But if I'm being wholly honest, not surprised at all with how quickly they were able to adapt to, to Scott's ideas because I've seen it happen. Um, I guess where I was, own, the only concern I had was when you're working with national team players, they have an elevated football IQ, right? So they were able to pick up the concepts a lot quicker. So you can layer those things a lot quicker. Plus, if you're in a training environment, like a, a short camp, you, you layer in that, you know, day in, day out, day in, day out. Whereas this, it's, uh, you know, with a club environment, you're usually able to do it over a consistent period of time. But obviously then, it's, this, this actual scenario was quite similar to a national team camp because it was in the hotel after a game. You know, you can sit down, you can analyse the game, you can talk about it. So, so that layering aspect was, was, was very similar to, to what you had with, with a national team. It was just a question mark for me whether or not they would be able to process that, process that information quickly enough and then have it translate to performances on the field. But lo and behold, they, they seemingly got better as the competition went on, won three on the bounce in their last three games. And um, I, I really hope that they continue with this venture because I think if they go into this next year, which it seemingly will continue, uh, you know, I think they're going to be a real problem. I think it could be a real problem for, for some of the other teams in this competition moving forward. I think everybody's got a, a close eye on ADT because everybody's rooting for them, right? You want them to do well in the SEA Games next year. You want them to do well uh, in terms of getting more numbers from that younger team into the national squad and seeing how they integrate at a higher level, right? Uh, for you, who were, who were the standouts in this competition um, uh, throughout the five games that they played? Yeah, I mean, it, there is a lot of made out of, obviously, the, the poster boy, Harvey Gayoso. Uh, his switch then culminated in a couple of goals. So all of a sudden, like you said in the previous podcast, this vindication of everyone agreeing that, that Harvey was this superstar striker and that he should be playing in different positions. But I think we've already touched on the fact that we, we think it's great that, he, that he's tried out these different positions and had his strings to his bow. So for me, he was a stand-up performer, but obviously not in... Um, in, in, in the different positions and the different um, uh, setups that he's, that he's used to. But the Matthew Custodio one was one that you raised um, in last week's podcast. And, you know, he's got all the trappings of being a really, really good footballer. Another one I've seen from a really young age. And I was always nervous with him because he was someone who had a lot of hype as a kid. And then seemingly he sort of disappeared as you go into that college setup and, it's very hard for me to gauge how accelerated one's development is when you see them in that type of environment because I think it's easy to get lost in that college environment. But he's shown, he's shown in this competition that he's capable, uh, you know, utilised at the back, but I know he's played in a number of different positions um, and, and really showed his court vision and his, and his field understanding, I think, having, having played in different positions, he was able to uh, sort of, use that bank of knowledge that he's acquired and, and utilize that in a, in a position that he hasn't necessarily been too accustomed to. So I think he's got a great opportunity now to, to really progress. And he wasn't one really on the radar to maybe make a step up into, you know, the under 23s and, and play regularly, maybe at a major competition like the SEA Games, but he's someone who could feasibly play on a national team one day. I really do believe that. Um, so he's someone I think, who's, again, he's, he's, got the physicality. Um, it's great to see a young homegrown player 
um, come through the ranks and participate at that level. So he's one who I think has, has really gone onto people's radar as, as someone who might be able to potentially break through to the national team one day. And in a spot that is key right now, there, there mm. is a need for a center back. There aren't too many out there, um, especially homegrown, that can compete for that spot. So Matthew Custodio from, as you said, the wilderness of the national team setup, all of a sudden in prime position to capitalize because of this five-game tournament, right? And that's why it's so important. A lot of people were questioning the validity of, of, of spending so much effort and time and money to put this competition on. But we are seeing the benefits of that, you know? Uh, and, and Matthew Custodio is one of them. Harvey Goyoso, I wanted to touch on because he played in central, central midfield when he finished the, the competition. Uh, but somehow, some way, he, he works in his way into the headlines scored a penalty, um, assisted, you know, he's always finding himself involved. And I think the, the most important thing is the fact that he's not getting carried away with the hype around him. He's not getting carried away with himself. Um, he's continuously improving and, and trusting in the, in the system. And I think uh, he did well in that regard. Regardless of all the attention on him, he's found a way to make his mark and um, be a key to some of the success that ADT uh, um, experience during the competition. Um, so ADT definitely a surprise package and, 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 and some very exciting uh, things to look forward to for them. But uh, on the flip side, all the surprise packages are the ones that were surprisingly bad. Um, and I think there's one team in particular that will, will jump out to everyone. We are recording this on a Wednesday and there is still going to be one more match to be played. Mendiola versus Stallion are going to go up against one another. And that's going to be taking place on Thursday, um, a day after this is recorded. But Mendiola's got four points. And they're up against a Stallion team that has just one point after four matches. Chris, could you have ever foreseen that that was even possible? Stallion Laguna, a team that were once champions, a team that are perennial contenders, and really a team that was looking to break into... You know, sort of that, okay, with Global gone, with Miralco gone, it's time for us to be a contender. Kaya, ourselves, and Serias. But they're at the bottom of the table, Chris. They have not been able to implement themselves or, or, or express themselves in any shape or form that we are grown accustomed to with regards to Stalin Laguna. I think even before the season, there was, um, there was a lot of talk about them potentially challenging for the title, wasn't there? I think the, 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 work, the murmurs that were coming out of their camp was that, you know, they're ready to, to mount an assault. Um, we talked about it on our podcast, didn't we? We said that we expect the big three to be the big three. You know, that, that, that's what we thought. The teams who historically have, have been there or thereabouts, we expected them to be at the pinnacle of, of, uh, of the league and, and fighting it out for the title. I mean, even conversations that I've had with the likes of Shockey before, he's like, God, every time we play against Stallions, it's always... Yeah, it's always a tough game. We're almost so nervous going into them. We know it's a, it's a potential game that we could lose. You know, and to see them get rocked, 10-0, 10-0, right? Yeah. Um, no, against, no, 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 no. Um, 7-1, I think it was the 7-1, sorry, 7-1, 7-1 um, against, um, sorry, because it was, it, was it was quite tight until half-time. 7-1, um, 10-0 was the Mendiola game. Um, just to see... Obviously, this like you said before the penultimate game. This is this this has been recorded the day before they play Mendiola. But to see them at the bottom of the table is is incredibly surprising because usually 
you expect a level of consistency, don't you, from Stallions, that, that you know they're going to fight, you know they're going to be scrappy, you know they're going to be hard work, you know they're going to be diligent in carrying out the game plan. But one point from, from four games, and there, there could be repercussions of, of, of that because the third place finish obviously could potentially lead to um, qualification for, um, for, for the AFC Cup. So, you know, it's really, really important that, that um, they clinch it because it's something that they've been harboring and, and yearning for for such a long time, getting that spot. I remember when we beat them the year we won the Cup and I know that they felt that year was, that it was their chance. You know, uh, Serres at the time had, uh, had gone out of the competition and they felt if they could get past us in the semi-finals that they would beat Dava Aguilas in the, in, in, in the final. And I knew when we beat them, they were devastated because they felt that that was a great opportunity for them to play AFC Cup football. And this was their best opportunity. This, this season was their best opportunity. It still might come to fruition. Like I said, we might be, you might be listening to this and think, oh, well, they've made it, so what's, what's the big deal? But we don't know yet, um, based on when we record this episode. But um, I would like to see them there because I think if you look at their body of work over the period of X amount of years that they've been in this competition, they've always been a consistent performer. So for them to lose out this season would be a real travesty for them. Um, but, you know, although the league table maybe does lie this season, if, if they end up in that position where they don't qualify, then they've only got themselves to blame. I don't know if you have a difference of opinion or I don't know if you've got some inside knowledge from, from watching the games, if you have a different perspective, but it certainly doesn't seem to be the stallion, stallion team that, that I'm used to seeing, that's for sure. Um, I didn't see the fire. Normally there's like a fire with Stallion, you know, where they're shouting at each other, they're, they're pumping themselves up. And unfortunately for Kaya, it was visible in that match. That was the only time you saw it. Mm -hmm. I called their other games and they weren't the same. And I think it was the fact that, you know, Kaya and them have so much uh, history together that kind of spurred on some of the players. But for, for, the, for the other matches, they couldn't get up for it. And, and it was a shame to see, you know, um, because they could finish below Maharlika, Chris. And that is just a slap in the face of a team that has been around for so long and has set a standard. Um, and now they're not even gatekeepers. If you lose below um, Harlika, you have essentially been overstepped as, you know, you're at the bottom of the food chain now. That's, that's, that's embarrassing for them. There's, there's, no way to, there's no other way to put it. That's, you're going to look at a guy like Ernie Nieres and he's going to be livid, right? Um, Natasha Alquiroz, who I commentate with, no longer officially part of, of, of Stalin, she is devastated to see this. You know what I mean? Um, I try to complain about Kaya, you know, underachieving this year, and, and she's just like, don't talk to me about that. Like, don't even try, because Stalin have, are just in, a, in a, a drastic state right now. And it's, that's probably one of the things that will be very exciting to see for next season, is what do they do? Do they clear out? Do they... Um, what, what change do they need to make in order for them to be taken seriously again or be a serious contender um, next year? Uh, that is going to be a big, big challenge for them because this year, not good enough. At this stage of the competition with one point, um, yeah, it's, it's a sad, sad thing to see because we're seeing now a decline, right? 2017, um, they weren't great. 2018, we saw them try to put up a fight. 2019, 
they were only four points ahead of Green Archers, right? So, and now they're at one point after four games. So if they keep moving in this direction, man, we should start implementing relegation. Maybe, maybe Stallion would be in that fight because it's, it's, it's becoming alarming. Definitely. That's fighting talk. That's fighting talk. And I, w- I, don't, I wouldn't start with this because once you start to poke the bear, then, then you're, you're, you're in for a, you're in for some sort of robust battle next year for sure. I'm part of Kaya, um, Chris, but I'm a, I'm a Philippine football fan. So, you know, make it, make it so that Stallion get angry, man. Everybody yeah, needs it. Because they shouldn't be down there, should they? You no. know, they're, they're, they're a team with stars on their jerseys. You know what I mean? They, they should be, they should be fighting up at the top of the competition. You know, um, quite a lot of time and respect for them. We, we used to have some great games. Some of the most fondest, some of the fondest memories that I have as a player and as a coach were games against them, you know, because they were always such a fiery and intense yeah. game. So I just hope that they can find that fire and intensity throughout the duration of competitions throughout every game. Because if they do that, then they're going to be a formidable, a formidable opponent. But if they don't, you know, then unfortunately they're going to be languishing in, in the positions that we see them now. But I wouldn't bet against them making a, you know, a strong comeback. I don't know about, you know, whether there's a situation, whether it be, you know, financial, you know, are they unable to bring the caliber of player that they want to bring in? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's, that's, that's hit them hard. Again, because it hasn't been a season that's been ongoing for a number of weeks where you start to get a feel for, for, for groups, you know, based on, you know, conversation you have with other players or other teams, you know, in passing, you start to get a feel for what's really going on behind the scenes. I haven't had any of that. I don't know if you had um, because of the condensed season. But, yeah, I, I still think that, this is going to end up being a bit of a blip, a uh, little blot on the copy paper for them. And I'm hoping that they will return. And, uh, you know, in, in the guise, in, in, in the more familiar, um, you know, stallion form that, that we're used to seeing. So fingers crossed that we see them in, in, in how they have been in, in previous years, because I do think that they, they belong more towards the, the top end of the table than where we're seeing them right now. It, there's a, it's a scary proposition, Chris, because the rumblings of this tournament have been... Uh, vast. They've, they've spread out to potential clubs coming in, you know, sponsors who are tuned in because they, they like what they're seeing. It's a package mm-hmm. now that they can get behind and they see that there is a community that is there and passionate about the game. That might bring out more competition, Chris, right? We might see some familiar names from the past come back and, and join the fray next season. We might see 19s next year. That is something that they really have to take on as a, a potentiality. And if, if these teams go come into the league and, and overstep you again, then you're going to be fading away into nothingness, right? You're going to be irrelevant in, in the grand scheme of things. And that's not where Stallion want to be. And their fans and their loyal supporters definitely don't want them to, to slip away, right? And I'm worried about that because I'd like to see Stallion do well next season. That is yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand where you're coming from. I, I think you touched on a really nice um, subject there, though, Jing, which is, I think, one of the things, the key takeaways from this competition for me, you can almost take away the football in, in, in many respects. I think it's just great that we had something going in it. And, and props to Kokotori for, for getting the, the competition up and running and all the guys that have worked underneath him to, to ensure that the competition went ahead. But for me, the biggest takeaway from this competition is the fact that we were able to generate this buzz. And like what we said last year with the Sea Games, where we were, we were sort of questioning whether or not football was alive and well in the Philippines. Because we do tend, have a tendency to have this sort of 
roller coaster up and down relationship with football here in this country. But I think what we've seen is, as you've alluded to, games are being tuned into. You know, people are watching. Uh, the product that we are watching is much better. The clarity of the picture, the advertising boards around the stands, you know, the, 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 the quality of the commentary, um, the, the action replays, all of this stuff has, has, has led to a, uh, a better product that the Philippine football fans can enjoy. And if the football f fans are enjoying it, as you said, it's going to attract other people yeah. to the product. Uh, and for me, that's the most important thing because if we do start to get more people involved, that's how the league is going to grow. And if it continues to grow, then we are headed in the right direction because we can't have any more years where it's going to be, have we got enough teams? Can, can we call someone up? Can he put a team in? You know, could, can you do us a favour and, and, and round up 20 guys so you can put a team? We can't have that anymore. Yeah. We can't have that anymore. Any more years like that, and unfortunately, you talk about Stallions being on the demand, then the whole competition is going to fall apart. So that, for me, has been the biggest takeaway, is that there definitely seems to be a buzz around the competition. It's reverberated throughout the football community. And if we can get to eight teams next year, nine teams, ten teams next year, then it would have made this big sacrifice that, that people have put forth in this last month, two, three, eight months throughout this lockdown period. Um, it would have made it all worthwhile. And, and we can see some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, that, for me, is the biggest takeaway from, from this competition. And, uh, yeah, as I said, massive, massive props to Coco Tori and, and, and his staff for, for putting this all together. Perhaps this is where I can uh, shed a little bit of insight onto how things transpired over the year as I was somewhat inside, as a, in, involved with Kaya. So I was there with the team meetings and the club meetings and figuring out how this was going to be put together. Uh, back when this was still being molded from clay, uh, hmm. I got an opportunity to sort of get into the minds of how they were thinking about it, right? And we alluded to the fact that we need to give credit to Poco, right? Um, and it's well known that I grew up with him through the football community. When I got out of college, I, that was one of my first jobs was working with Coco. So I'm a huge fan of what he's done and the journey that he's been on. But that aside, what he's done is extraordinary, right? Um, and I think he's done it in, in a manner that is promising for the future. Because what he's done is he's accomplished having the six teams collaborate. Because it's impossible to put this together if the teams do not. So everybody has to work together on this one. And, and the key to that was having civil discourse on a regular basis in a manner in which he's always moving the ball forward. The progress is happening. There's going to be um, questions. There's going to be, uh, how should you say, protests with how certain things are decided. There's going to be discussion. But the ball is always moving forward. And he's not afraid to have discussions because he is well-trained. He's gone through all the seminars and all the workshops that AFC can provide. He understands what is and isn't possible given the circumstances. Um, so he knows how to operate within this environment. Um, and all the clubs now understand that they have, they're dealing with a competent entity because there's no other way to accomplish what he did with everything, chess pieces moving in real time, always. There's always going to be a new problem. There's a typhoon tomorrow. There has been a COVID uh, detection here. Um, the, the angle of the camera is not great. Everything is being, you know, sponsorship, A-board allocations, um, broadcast dealings, two days, three days 
prior to the start of the competition, still not secured. Um, everybody's moving in real time and solving problems in real time. And what we saw was that if they can do, handle business in this kind of environment, the next season, they will be better prepared and for the season after that and for the season after that. So there's a culture that's being created in which there's a demand for something better and there's, we know the way to do that. And don't get too crazy. Don't throw criticisms our way if you can't back it up, you know, because you're up against some guys who know what they're talking about. Um, so it's interesting, you know. Um, and with the, the rumblings of more people wanting to be a part of this type of environment, in which there's less volatility with, within the, the setup of the competition, ah, then nine teams, 10 teams, maybe. Then you're going to come back, Chris. You're going to get involved. Uh, it might be the time for you to, to get back into an exciting Philippine football setup. Uh, always fresh and new, exciting personalities um, generate buzz, Chris. Maybe, maybe it's time to think about it. It's the second time you brought it up. Are you trying to get me? What's going on here? Is this like a campaign that you're starting or what? I want everybody to be back. I want everybody to come back. Let's get the old, um, get the old band together. Is that, is that your I, I, I really theory think, here? I really think, um, you know, Anton Del Rosario now, you know, he's changed his tune. We haven't had a chance to speak about Maharlika yet, but they are a key to selling next year. Um, in that this is a new club that has already surpassed expectations. Mm. Uh, and, and football clubs are more and more became, becoming platforms or vehicles to share shared values rather than just wins and losses, right? It's being attaching yourself to an entity where you can ride highs and lows together because you believe in the value system that they stand for. And Maharlika has been very good at creating that vehicle and showing other clubs that this is how to do it. We might not have the pieces on the pitch. In fact, that is not our primary focus. Our primary focus is how can we impact a community? And I think beating Stallion Having that moment, um, that's enough, you know? It's, it's, it's like they created magic, and that's what you need. As a club, you can see maybe my, the value of putting together a club is that. It's not winning, trying to beat United City, because you look at that and like, how can I compete against that? I don't want to compete against that. I want to I create crazy, intense storylines where I beat Mendiola or Stallion or whatever. Right? And, and, and to be able to integrate individuals like MJ Libre, who come from Tondo, or provide opportunities for the likes of Barbasso, David Bassa, and, and Anton Del Rosario, a platform to continue to play even into the later years of their career. Uh, Anton has said that he wants the wheels to fall off now. Before, he was like, you know what? My legs are not ready anymore. Maybe I won't be able to compete at a high level. Now he's just, he wants to play for the passion of the game, right? And, if he's competitive and he can still feel like he can hang, I want everybody back. Your brother next year, right? Wako is going to be back. Misak's going to be back. Maharlika is going to be extremely exciting next year. Um, I think, you know, um, the, the storyline and subplots are endless once more seasoned personalities and characters come back to the phrase. So it just, with the storytelling capabilities now that are at the disposable, at disposal of the Philippine football community, there could be some very exciting and interesting stories to get behind. That's mm. me. Okay. Roundabout uh, that, way of saying come that, back. That was your that was your sales pitch. It was yeah. okay. I'm not sure yeah. if I'd buy it yet. It's not okay. bad. Yeah. Um, I, I think with that, just just um, what you mentioned there about Mahalika, I, I'm going to go to a mention. You know, let's let's not be let's not be 
silly about this. They were one point away from potentially qualifying for an AFC Cup spot. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's a great unique selling point for anyone looking to invest in it. You know, someone like Anton Del Rosario has put together a team. That in itself is ridiculous, right? You know, you don't, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to put a team together. That's, that's, that's what you've learned from that. And also, you know, you, it's, okay, look, they had a couple of blowouts. But I think you alluded to it before. Formula One has its subplots. You know, if you're the, the team that's in, the constructor that's in fourth place or fifth place, you can still be competitive. Do you know what I mean? You still have to run your own race and compete against the, the, the constructor that's in third or fourth or fifth or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So like you said, those, those little subplots are nice. I don't think we should all necessarily be looking at it from a perspective of we need to be trying to, to, to challenge for Champions Leagues. Because in reality, at the moment, it's only really two teams that are probably thinking about that. Actually, I'm being honest, and really deep down believe that they should be competing or aspiring to compete at that level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So everyone else is trying to compete for something else. And like you said, I think it's nice that Mahalika have come in and given their platform, and it isn't necessarily to go and qualify for AFC. Although that would be nice. You know, you've got to try and perform as best as you can on the pitch. And it almost got them to that point. Let's be honest. It's almost got to a position where they might potentially qualify for an AFC Cup spot. Um, but yeah, definitely for me, it's, it's important that we try to continue to create that buzz and, and get people involved. The one thing I would like to see from your friend Coco, though, is I'd like to have him more visible. That's my, my, my take, and I've told him this to his face, so I'm calling him out publicly. Um, I'd love to hear him share his ideas, you know what I mean? Because I think he's quite active on Facebook and stuff. I saw someone um, post asking today for like a UFL... Um, all-star team type scenario at the last time and he's quite quick to win yeah well I was on that I was on that campaign I did that um, and I was like alright Coco calm down relax I don't think they were trying to call anyone out um, but, but then he answered with this in the pipeline do you know what I mean I think I'd love to hear it doesn't have to be on our podcast it doesn't have to be on our platform but I would love to hear his ideas because I think if he could there's only so, so much he can share he can't share everything I totally understand that but I think he's someone who is articulate he has brilliant ideas, and I think for not just the fans, but for prospective clubs and prospective sponsors to want to get on board, it'd be great to have him uh, share some of his visions. I think, you know, he could be, uh, I was going to say Howard Stern there, but David Stern, he could be, he could be the sort of the, the David Stern of the, of, the, of the Philippines. You know, I think he's got that, he's got that capability because he's already shown his competency. There's no question. He's let his work do the talking. I would also like to hear him share some of his ideas with the, with the broader football public. I think that would also go, go a long way in, in sort of fostering and uh, stoking that fire for, for the domestic game. What do you think? Yeah, 100%. I think um, it's going to be inevitable. He needs to be out there more often to, to provide sort of the direction of the league that everybody can get behind it. Because now you're seeing that, you know, although there are people who are fans and supporters of specific clubs, I think in general, what you're seeing is that there is a support for the league. There's a lot of people who have just been watching the games, you know, and I, I, I've been doing that as well, you know, where I, I don't want to watch the games with a Kaya lens specifically because mm. you lose out on all the other th things that football can offer, right? When you're watching it with a neutral eye and you get to train that by watching other teams play, right? It's hard to appreciate United City when they're battering your team 7-1 it's easy to be able to be like, wow, that passing is incredible when it's somebody else, right? And, and I think that's what, with the games being entertaining, that's the key thing there. Not only palatable, but entertaining. 
I want to spend an hour and a half of my life watching how Mendiola does against ADT today because I'm interested and the game is fun. That's it, right? So that's what's key there. And if your product is that, then people can get on board. And I think there were a lot of new fans that were turned into um, you know, spectators of football. I personally, from the Kai account myself, I've, I've witnessed people sending in videos of like their support and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, I'm a new fan. I watched you guys for the first time. And uh, man, I was really entertained. So I've been watching all the games. What? That never used to happen, right? So that's, I guess, one of the more exciting things as well. Sidelf Tupas is doing a great job putting together the broadcast team and understanding that worst comes to worst, if there's nobody that wants to come and shoot us, we can shoot ourselves. And we can do good things by shooting ourselves because we know the storylines, we know who to focus. Uh, the commentators are all friends and understanding of what storylines need to be discussed or are overly discussed and under-discussed. So um, I think it's, it's an opportunity for, as I said previously in a, in a previous episode, is sort of our community just kind of rallying around one another and, and showcasing our competency because now you're being put in the spotlight and it's time to kind of like, hey, all of our heads are sticking out. Either you show up and do your job or you're going to get found out pretty quick. And because it's an it's a exciting industry now, there's a lot of individuals who are looking in and like, I want to get involved. Some of the videos that were created in that bubble were created by um, multimedia art students who are not football fans at all. But participated in the league and they're like, wow, there's so many great stories here. I want to do more football stuff. When those good creative individuals start entering your, your, your field and start creating stories for neutrals, not just for club fans, uh, this is when it becomes more mainstream and the stories become more emotionally, um, how should you say, connected to, to the, the general public. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Uh, a more market, marketing, media-centric approach for next year explosive personalities like Stefan Schrock, Anton Del Rosario, uh, the, the folks of Maharlika, and uh, the individuals from Kaya and the other clubs. Man, it's going to be very, very exciting. So I, at this time, I think there's a wave brewing, right? And it's a promising-looking wave right now. But, I mean, it's, let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? It's been one league. It's been five games per <laughs> club, right? But it's like, whoa, there's a, there's a wave coming. And now there's a, there's, a, there's a window here where a lot of people are kind of like, is it time? Is it time for us to paddle for this? Is it time for us to get back on board with Philippine football? And I think if the PFL and the PFF play their cards right, they can convince a lot of people that this is the one to go for. I think so. Yeah. And that would be great. That's all, that's all we want, isn't it? That's all we want. And from the get-go, we talked about we want to have a more sustainable league, one that's, that's viable, that has uh, longevity, um, and, and can provide opportunities for, for players, for fans to, to enjoy this game. So, no, I, I totally agree with you, Jing. I think it's been, uh, it's been a great advert for, for the local game. And fingers crossed we can just continue to, uh, you know, ride this, ride this wave using your surfing analogy, um, but hoping that it continues to grow. Um, but it's been fun. It's been really fun, Jing. I've really enjoyed it. Disappointed that it's ended so quickly. Um, but, you know, a lot to look forward to now. And... Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get to see some of these uh, these teams compete in the AFC Cup, the AFC Champions League next year, depending on how that, that whole thing turns out. That's another podcast altogether, obviously. Um, but um, no, it, it, just in review, it's been a, it's been a really fun, fun uh, few weeks to, to watch this competition and really, really enjoyed it. 
Yep. Two weeks of madness for the Philippine football community, but it was well worth it. And it was so much fun to be a part of. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our, our opportunity to sort of look back and, and discuss it. If you did, then we hope you are subscribed to our YouTube channel. If not, you should get to doing that. It's very easy to one click on our YouTube page. Please do that uh, to help us out, get the word to more people who might be interested in football matters in the Philippines. Uh, we are also on Spotify and we're on Apple Podcasts. Look for us there. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. It's been tremendous, Chris. I enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Good to see you again. All right, guys. Catch you next time for more um, Philippine football discussions here on Across the Line. Catch you on the next Football Friday.